All right. So just that's just my tip to you. When you're arguing with somebody, don't make assumptions about them. Like, for example, don't assume that they had to do some re-
Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. The light is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's almost the end of the year, according to the calendars that we're told to believe. So I, I guess I'm a part of that, the idea that we're told that there are certain days of the year and we all correspond to it and take it as truth. So that's something to think about. But according to what we're told and we believe, or I believe, because I can't speak for everybody, it's December 30th, 2016. It's a Friday. The year is almost over. And what a year it's been. 
coming up on, it's been a little over three years of doing this program. So I want to have a big thank you to everyone who has um, appeared on the show, who has spoken, who has come in, who has called in, who has shared information. Uh, thank you to all the listeners out there. Um, this has been a really, really great ride. So I want to just extend a lot of gratitude and also go through all the, the names of the folks who have um, come in or called in this year. So starting off, and uh, on February 5th. And also you can go check out previous programs if you haven't heard them or would like to hear them again. We're on iTunes as well as Mutiny Radio. If you go to mutinyradio.fm in the podcast section, you can check out our archives. So yeah, on February 5th, we had Zarina Zabriskie. February 12th, Nia Levy-King. March 3rd, Kin Folks. April 15th, Innocente Poe and Felix Lee who are in the band Cayeta and Venata, who and they're incredible. On June 3rd, Frank Romano. June 10th, John Neffel. June 17th, Bonnie Johns and Alan Gizmorio. July 1st, Ronaldo Ricketts. July 22nd, Diamond Dave, who also co-hosts uh, Common Thread Collective here at Mutiny Radio. July 29th was Molly Neffel. August 16th was Kinfolks and Samson McCormick. September 1st, David Moore. September 15th, Shane Brody. September 29th, Juicy Lou. October 21st, Pam Tao Lee. October 28th was Jeffrey Br Blake Nelson uh, from Ben the Ark and Sterling Spence. November 4th was Gilda Baker and Antoinette Gajero uh, from Open Circle. December 2nd was Laurent Barton. December 9th was Brother Damien. December 16th was Nicole Mashali. And last week, December 23rd, was Terrence Gaetan. So thank you to everyone. And my goal is to put up a website of all the shows with descriptions so folks can go back and listen. Because although it's a news program, it's really interesting to go back and listen to what was happening back then. And with a lot of these interviews, they're very, they, there's just, they've been really informative. And I've learned so much from pe speaking with people and seeing the, the commonalities and the patterns with a lot of activists uh, regarding the ways that they have been moving through the world and making change. So a big thank you to, to all these, those folks. And also thank you to the listeners. In November, we had over 3,000 downloads, which is pretty awesome. So thank you, everyone, for listening, especially if you started listening this year. Uh, please tell your friends. Keep on listening. I appreciate the the support. I'm not terribly riled up, as I thought I would be this morning, and it's hitting me just this moment. I think it depends on my caffeine levels. I only had one small cup of coffee today, and I don't think it was that strong because I'm sitting here and feeling pretty... Hmm? Pretty mellow, and that's okay. So first off, I have to promote a an action that's happening on New Year's Eve, and that is um, brought on by RefuseFascism.org. So please do check out this site, and there's actions happening around the country. So if you go to RefuseFascism.org, uh, you can check out what's happening near you. There's also a lot of Facebook invites. So there's going to be a march starting, uh, which is tomorrow. Saturday, December 31st at 8 p.m. at 555 California Street. And this is a building, a really ugly building. 
that uh, Trump co-owns, and there was a there was an action there on Wednesday that was pretty awesome. I went to an action there a few months ago or two months. I can't I can't keep track of time anymore. The f- the first action I went to was with a group called If Not Now, and it was a very mellow action. We were singing in a circle, and the one this one on Wednesday was a lot different. And folks, some folks got into the building. Some of us were trying to get into the building. Uh, security didn't like that. Some security, I should say. And the cops were called. And um, we did a die-in out on the sidewalk. So folks lay down on the sidewalk and people chalked our bodies. And it's pretty much to illustrate what will happen if a fascist regime gets into power. And this whole idea is to prevent that from happening in the first place. So what can we do before the inauguration? What can we do to raise awareness? Because most folks I know are pretty outraged and upset, and I know a lot of people are still in shock about this. And the one one way is just to, to take action, to protest, to go out on, into the streets, and, and to recognize and remember that we're not the minority at all. They're, the majority of the country don't want this to happen. So what can we do together? What are some solutions? And again, it's tricky. There's more questions than answers. If there was an easy, like a button we could press or like one line that would just solve everything, then I'm pretty sure folks would have done this a long time ago. But the way the systems are set up, it's it's meant to keep us divided and to keep us afraid and to feel powerless. And we need to find ways around that. So one great thing about organizing meetings and protests is that you get to meet people, you get to organize, you get to be out in the streets, and you can feel very, uh, very powerful. And there was a, an article I posted five years ago, which I'd totally forgotten about, about how protesting can be good for you. So perhaps I'll read that a little bit later. And I recognize, of course, I want to illustrate that not everyone is able to protest. And so this is not meant to shame anyone who's not able to. And at the same time, it's meant for folks who maybe have thought about it, but aren't quite sure or they've never, never ever been. And there was a great point that was brought up in this meeting recently was that it was always somebody's first time. It was, it's not like someone was born and they automatically knew what it was like to protest. Um, everyone starts from somewhere. And so I really want to encourage people, uh, able-bodied people, folks who feel like they can go out there and um, put their bodies out there. Please, please do that. If you feel like you can and you're, you're able to really, really do that. Really want to encourage people to do that. Um, because it's, there's this, a lot of this idea of waiting for someone else to do it and we kind of have to. So... Yeah, I want to do that and also just to speak about it in a very positive way. And I recognize that it can be divisive in some ways. There are people who might not believe in protesting at all. And then there are the folks with this. Okay, well, a lot of us know that we don't want this, but what do we want? And that goes back into what I was talking about before. We need to create, I don't know if it's systems necessarily, because we just, but ways of helping one another that are not reliant on what what we've been given, whether that's taking care of each other through housing and through food and medical care. I feel tired of, not tired of talking about it. Uh, I keep on saying the same thing over and over again, and I realize actions are more important than words. So wanting to actually make action and doing that, whether that is feeding people, housing people, providing space, sharing resources, sharing information, what can we do? Whether it's, I'm thinking about enrolling in a self-defense course uh, and thinking about getting trained as a medic. There are all these things that we can do to protect ourselves and to help each other. And being active with that, I think, is very important. Also, for the folks out there who have capital, please, please, please share your capital. Donate. Um, help out folks who need it, because not everyone 
not everyone has it. So that's another thing you can do if you work for a company, a big company, and you can make copies. That's something very small. Or if you have access to office supplies, see how you can donate those to smaller organizations that really need that. A lot of a lot of the smaller nonprofits, grassroots organizations that aren't even nonprofits, but super grassroots that might not even have a name could use help. And I think there's that idea that really wanting just to share the idea of the whole, there's that idea of trickle down economics, which clearly doesn't work. And I'm wondering if we could really make that happen as trickle down resources. What do you have? And this can be for anybody. What do you have in your house that you're not using? Do you have five rolls of tape? Do you really need five of them? Maybe you can donate one. Do you have extra clothes that you're not using? Extra blankets? Think about what we can do with what we have. And that's for absolutely everyone. I'm saying it for myself as well. What do we have that someone else might be able to use? Thinking that that's one alternative to this constant consumeristic using capital for everything. So that's one idea. Okay, getting back to this protest that's happening tomorrow night, 8 p.m., December 31st at 555 California Street. It's a building that Trump co-owns. Gross. Ugh. So folks will be meeting there and then marching to Justin Herman Plaza, which is right by Embarcadero, at 9 p.m. The flyer reads, hashtag no fascist 2017. New Year's Eve, be where the world needs you most, in the streets. Bring drums, pots and pans, noisemakers, candles, glow sticks, posters that say no, and everyone you know. Join thousands in cities and towns across this country, ringing in the new year in determination to stop the fascist Trump-Pence regime before it comes to power. And the flyer says, no pussy grabbing, no immigrant bashing, no Muslim registry, no wall, no white supremacy, no neo-Nazis, no gay bashing, no climate change denying, no Trump, no Pence, no fascist USA. And you can check out more information at refusefascism.org. Or you can email them at refusefascism.bayarea at gmail.com. So there you go. There's some information. There's people, I get that there's a lot of things, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Here's one example of what you can do. You can just show up. You can just show up to the protest and then go from there. That's something else. So I consider myself to be a fairly shy person, a lot less shy than I used to be. And even I'm just be, even feeling inspired to hand out flyers, even to people I don't know, people I do know, because that can also be a little bit scary to talk to folks that you don't necessarily. I mean, most folks I would hope would not be a fan of what the impending presidency can bring. So I've been trying to work with that and push through it and push through my fear of bringing that up to folks I might not know that well. And people have been really receptive. And even people I don't know, people on the street, people in buildings, I've been putting some up around town. It's, and it's, at the very least, it's like very minimal in the grand scheme of things. I do feel, though, just to bring attention to it, that's what we can do. And that's what's really going to take. It's not, there's not any super hero who's going to kind of swoop in and make everything better for us. It's up to the people. And that's always been up to the people to make the change. And we need to do that. So really wanted to put that, forward and put out that information so this is happening in a lot of cities not just san francisco not just new york and not just seattle not just los angeles it's happening in a lot of cities boston is one ventura california portland maine cleveland ohio i am talking like i am on a concert tour 
a lot of places. And I'm going to look it up right now, actually, so I can read the places that are now um, listing, listed. Yeah. Huh. I guess it's the end of the year, so I'll cut myself some slack for not being super animated. But perhaps that's better. So there's a if you go to the Facebook invite, you can type in the the title of the event is NYC plus everywhere New Year's Eve no to Trump slash Pence, and for the address on the invite for this event, it's Columbus Circle in New York City. However, in the details of the invitation, they list the other cities where it's also taking place. You can also go to refusefascism.org. So it's happening in Atlanta, Boston, here in San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Cleveland, Portland, Maine, Seattle, Houston, Texas, Tucson, Arizona, Ventura, California. And I feel like I saw another one that was another city as well. So I think they're also popping up in a lot of other places. And that's really important to recognize that it's happening nationwide and it might feel a little bit one might think, oh, well, just it happening in the Bay Area. No, it's happening around the country. So if it's not happening, and also if it's not happening in your city or a place near you, start your own. I think that's great. I know it's easier said than done, though, what's stopping you? If people are going to be out and about anyway, why not do something with a purpose? And I think that's really, really cool. And then also, I'll just go on a little rant about 2016, because, I mean, everyone's talking about it. And again, I recognize that it's like this quote-unquote man-made and this idea of human-made year of stretch of time and the idea a lot of people have died and you know there's celebrities and and all that and I feel like they're also people have also made the point what about um all the folks who have died um by bombs uh folks who are not celebrities who have died this year what what about them folks who are continually dying the U.S. is still bombing seven countries drone attacks how about those people do they have as much if people were as ups and granted i recognize that like artists influence people uh, open up the show with prince who's fucking incredible and that's i think controversy is one of the greatest songs of all time if every individual person was also given even like a fraction of that much attention what could we do as a world to stop that whether that's executions either through war or through colonization through the death penalty through lack of health care and lack of getting like stable housing. Think of all the, the deaths that there have been this year that we haven't heard about, that we're not mourning or thinking about. And I suppose that's part of American culture is this very reluctance to talk about emotions in the first place. And then beyond that, <coughs> talk about death and what that means and our own mortality. And what are we willing to die for? I think about that a lot. What am I willing to die for what are people willing to die for and there seems to be a lot of comfort or the idea of comfort the idea of security whether or not that's true or not who knows this idea of complacency maybe and recognizing that perhaps one needs to give up a little bit more in order to make the changes that we want to see and so the next generations don't have to go through what we go through or or worse there's a lot of folks talking about history and not there seems to be a lot of people also just not wanting to recognize the parallels and it's easy to go back be like oh I, w I wish folks during the holocaust had spoken up more i wish people in the beginning of this country being colonized had sp like spoken up more or hadn't allowed these things to happen 
yet we're in it now. It's always been going on too. That's another thing as well is that this has always been going on. There have always been people in power who are fucking shit up for the rest of us and turning us against one another. That's always been happening. And now I think we're seeing it on a really big scale that's overt and undeniable. There are still people who are refusing to see it, though. There are still people who are in shock, and there are still people who think it won't be so bad. And it might not be that bad for them at first. The idea, though, is that if someone's suffering, if someone's in pain, if someone's being threatened, then everyone needs to step up because it affects all of us. And what a lot of folks have been saying for a long time is that the systems that are in place here are, are messed up. When we talk about law enforcement, for instance, and people who are paid to serve and protect and they end up murdering people, for instance, or we talk about mass incarceration and how many people who are incarcerated and are innocent, how many people are there for nonviolent offenses or for just happening to, happening to use drugs, which the majority of the people of the population have done. Yet Dick Cheney and Karl Rove, people who are who are literal war criminals, they're not in jail. Yet someone who maybe had a joint once is in jail. How how does that sound right to anybody? So the world is pretty backwards, and this country, I feel in a lot of ways, exemplifies that. And there's this idea that perhaps compared to other countries, there are more freedoms. And at the same time, one has to follow certain rules and based on one's bo the body that one is born into that allows people certain privileges. So The Counted, which is a project created by The Guardian and a lot of individuals is has kept track starting in 2015 of people who were killed by the police in the United States. And in 2015, uh, there were 1,146 people who were killed by police in the United States. So that's just in 2015 alone, 1,146 people. That's a lot of fucking people. Think about it. That's three people a day. Over, over three people a day, I believe. Is it? No, maybe a little bit less, but it's about three people a day. Crazy. This year, in 2016, so far there have been 1,058 people murdered by police in the United States. So when we, we think about this, I, I mean, I don't know what else there is left to say aside from trying to convince people who still believe in the, the few bad apples theory or every time I talk about something having to do with police, people want to assume or insist like, oh, but I've met a nice police officer. And the, the, the thing is, though, that they all pay into the police officers association. So even if they themselves haven't murdered people, they are paying for the defense for the legal funds of those who do. So they are complicit and one recognizes and knows that if people speak up, if the cops speak up, they're threatened. However, it's left to, if they don't speak up, it's left to citizens to speak up. And that doesn't, how, it just doesn't it's just not right at all so really wanted to to say that also the accounted keeps track of folks um their race and ethnicity and so far this year uh, 19 native americans have been murdered by the police uh, 248 black folks 
167 Hispanic or Latino, Latino, 513 white, 19 Asian Pacific Islander, and 92 other or unknown. And the way they they track this also is just to see the, it's like the number, it's the rate per million. So Native Americans are at the top of the list because it's uh, 8.02 Native Americans per million have been murdered. 6.21 black folks per million. 2.95 Hispanic Latinx folks per million. 2.59 white folks per million and 1.06 Asian Pacific Islander folks per million. So that's just to, to see how, yeah. Ugh. They also keep track by state and gender, age, and have a lot more information as well. So, And the reason they started it was because, surprise, surprise, uh, no one else was keeping track of this because the police don't really investigate themselves. So I wanted to put that out there. We'll be taking calls in today. If you'd like to call, talk about 2016 or anything else you'd like, our number is 415-550-0511. It's a sunny day here in San Francisco. A lot of things happening. We planned some music, as per usual. I've played a lot of awesome music on the show this year, and we'll be revisiting some of my favorite songs we played. And also... We'll do a one I haven't played yet, and that's KRS-One with Sound of the Police. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the Yeah. 
And welcome back to the weekly review with Roman. It's still December 30th, Friday, 2016. That was KRS-One with Sound of the Police. We've got a few news articles here. There's been a bit of a media blackout on most things that are important in the world. (laughs) That's the mainstream media. So there were some celebrations in that initially it was reported that energy transfer partners were going to cease the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. However, there have also been reports saying that they're going to continue on and pay a fine. So this comes from Countercurrent News, and this came out today. Uh, Media blackout, the DAPL protests are still going strong because the pipeline is still being illegally built. And this is true with a lot of the pipelines around the world, pretty much. Most people don't want them, and they're still being built. And originally this was published on December 27th. Water protesters celebrated Christmas, I guess it should be water protectors, celebrated Christmas as the fight against the pipeline continues into 2017. Despite Christmas Day bringing harsh winter conditions, Dakota Access Pipeline protesters have continued their fight and brought in the holidays together. Almost all of the North and South Dakota, almost all of North and South Dakota were under blizzard, ice storm, or winter storm warnings on Sunday as meteorologists forecast wintry weather for central United States. The National Weather Service said that the blizzard warning for the Sioux County, where the Standing Rock protest camp is located, will run until Monday, with up to 12 inches of snow and winds reaching up to 45 miles an hour expected. The service warned that the freezing weather would make ground travel near impossible and could hamper the holiday travel plans for millions across the United States. But this has not deterred the estimated hundreds of water protectors at protest camps braving the weather. December has been a particularly brutal month for protesters at the camp. Many decided to leave after an earlier blizzard left more than half a foot of snow and strong winds whipped the protest site. So just a reminder that this is still going on and for folks to support however you can. Keep on having conversations about it. Again, if you can donate, please do. Really just sending out a lot of love and gratitude to the folks who are there and have been there. Everybody needs water. Capitalism destroys everything. If there is one message of 2016, I feel like that's one. Going to be shifting along to some more local stories right now. This was from the East Bay Express, and this came out yesterday. Oh, goodness. So, of course, we know about the water crisis in Flint. I guess we'll go along with the theme of water and how people in positions of power just don't want people to have things they need to survive. And greed is what pushes them forward to continue to not allow that to happen, to not allow people to get what they need to survive. So this came out, this article came out yesterday on December 29th, and it was written by uh, Darwin Bondgram. Oakland's toxic lead contamination isn't in the water, it's in the buildings and dirt, and it's bad. So initially there was a report saying that the water levels in Oakland, in specifically in the Fruitvale District, was, was bad and worse than Flint. 
And now they're upon further investigation, they're saying that this is the direct cause of that. According to a recently published Reuters report, Oakland's Fruitvale neighborhood is one of 3,000 U.S. communities with lead contamination worse than Flint, Michigan. But whereas Flint has been the subject of international media scrutiny, lead pollution in places like Fruitvale remains mostly unexamined. That is until Reuters' review of public lead contamination data prompted several Bay Area media outlets to shine a light on the Fruitvale's lead problem. But actually, the dangerous levels of lead pollution in the Fruitvale and other areas of Alameda County isn't new information. Federal, state, county, and city environmental officials have known about Fruitvale's lead contamination for years. In fact, the key figure cited in Reuters' report is from a 2012 California Department of Public Health study. Blood samples of 502 children under age 6 who live in the Fruitvale showed dangerously elevated levels of lead. About 7.57% of these kids had blood lead levels exceeding 4.5 micrograms per deciliter. Translation, Fruitvale kids are being poisoned and the lead found in their blood exceeds levels found in Flint. And unlike Flint, the source of lead in the Fruitvale isn't drinking water. The East Bay Municipal Utility District routinely tests the neighborhood's water and says it's safe to drink. According to an East Bay Mud press statement issued today, extensive testing shows that Oakland's water meets or surpasses all federal and state drinking water requirements, including the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's lead and copper rule. <coughs> the district also has an active corrosion control program to prevent corrosion in water pipes, including the pipes installed in apartment buildings and homes. The water in the Fruitvale is the same that goes to the whole city, said Noel Gallo, Oakland City's council member who represents the Fruitvale. Gallo said his office and East Bay Mud have been contacted over the past couple days by residents worried their water has lead in it due to vague media reports based on the Reuters article. But in fact, Fruitvale's contamination is arguably in a more dangerous and difficult place to clean up. It's spread around in the buildings and soil, and it gets kicked up in the air from the wind and traffic. Lead is all over Oakland, and it's especially concentrated in the Fruitvale, where old rental properties constantly shed the toxic metal into the environment. For the most part, the lead cases we're running across, it's usually a case of deteriorated paint, said Larry Brooks, the director of, of operations for Alameda County's Healthy Homes Department, a county agency that is on the forefront of tracking lead contamination and funding cleanup efforts. According to Brooks, Oakland has an enormous number of buildings that were constructed before 1978, the year that lead was banned as an ingredient in residential paint products. As a result, many of the city's homes and apartments are coated with it. We're finding it often as a result of deteriorated paint from the exterior. Rain rinses it into the soil and contaminates it, he said. In one high-profile case from 2014, a child living in a 55-unit apartment complex <coughs> on 36th Avenue in the Fruitvale was poisoned by lead. Over the past decade, Oakland building inspectors have been called to the property to check on numerous complaints, including chipping paint, crumbling ceilings, and mold that was making children sick, according to city records. City inspectors verified the building's various code violations, and they reported the lead problem to Alameda County health officials. 
According to 2014 county records, there were at least 20 households in the apartment building with children and babies, the majority of them very low income and largely Spanish-speaking families. Children play in the dirt around the apartment building, and some of the families grow corn, squash, beans, and other vegetables for personal consumption in garden plots adjacent to the exterior walls. The building was constructed in 1959, and much of the paint used on its exterior was lead-based. Brooks said his department has been working with the property owner to fix the problem, but he added that there are numerous other buildings in Oakland that have the same issues, and they're often not reported to health officials. Many tenants will avoid making a complaint to their landlord about flaking paint or signs of paint in the so signs of paint in the soil around buildings. Added Brooks, they may not realize the danger that they've that they're putting chil their children in. They may be fearful a landlord will get mad at them for nitpicking. He said, adding that it's important for cities to proactively inspect properties for lead in order to take the burden off renters. Oakland launched a proactive rental inspection pilot program in October of 2015 called the Safe Housing Inspection Program, or SHIP, but it's unclear how many properties have been inspected and whether the program is identifying lead contamination issues. Mayor Libby Schaff and City Administrator Sabrina Landreth did not respond to a request from the Express for documents related to the city's SHIP pilot program. One other big problem regarding Oakland's lead contamination problem is the lack of funds to clean it up. Although I will have my own perspective, I think they could probably use some of the funds that are going to the OPD. I think they have an excessive amount of funds for the police that they could probably divert to keeping people safe. Continuing on, currently Alameda County distributes grants to rental property owners so they can hire certified contractors to strip away lead paint but the source of funding is the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development. Some fear the incoming Trump administration could cut funds for critical programs like these. Government's priority should be to protect children, said Gallo. There's no excuse for any possible withdrawal of support to solve these issues. Amen. <sighs> I will definitely agree with that statement. And of course, that's antithetical to capitalism when we really look at it and people putting greed first. <clears throat> I'm thinking that the reason I am coughing so much is I've done a lot of yelling. That's one thing about protests. If you feel the need to yell, it's a good place to yell. And it's a great place just to, to get things out. So I must say I have to excuse myself for the, the coughing. And I also wanted to, my friend Tig also posted a link to Alameda County, which is offering free in-home lead consultations uh, from the city of Alameda. So if you go to uh, alamedaca.gov, there is a link there. And yes, Alameda County offers free in-home lead consultations. So if you go to the city of Alameda uh, page, that's one place you can check it out. So again, I think it's important to call out what's problematic in the world and also equally important to then find solutions and find ways to share information and ways to help one another. So thank you, Tig, for sharing that. As I recover my voice a little bit, I am going to drink some water. I'm also going to play a song. Speaking of Oakland, uh, of course, there was the um, the fire on December 2nd. So again, wanting to pay tribute to the 36 folks that we lost. Um, Cash Askew was a friend of many friends and a musician and so I also wanted to play one of the songs that she she co-wrote and this is from the band 
she was in uh, Them Are Us Too. And the song is called Us Now.
And welcome back to the weekly review. That was Them or Us 2 with Us Now. Continuing on with some local news stories, there was a terrible proposition that was passed in November, and that was Prop Q. Prop Q was sponsored by Mark Farrell, who's the district supervisor who represents the Marina District, which is also the home to uh, avowed KKK member, as well as Scott Weiner, who is the district supervisor of the Castro, who outlawed nudity and took away some benches so homeless people and other people all people he just took away the benches really he took away the benches and he's has a lot of buddies who are into real estate and i think it's important to call out people in positions of power who use their power to hurt people as well to be really specific about it there's a lot to be angry about and frustrated about and it's also important to recognize what it is specifically so we can call them out on it because I, I can speak for myself. I'm angry about a lot of things, and it's helpful to know exactly what has been done that's been harmful. And then to find solutions and find ways to resist. Perhaps that will be the theme of 2017 is resist. How do we resist the the laws being passed or trying to be passed or the people in power who continue to make life even more difficult than it needs to be for the majority of the population? That will be the theme. How do we resist? So here's one way to resist. So this prop prop Q, which was super gross, is super gross. That's my technical term. You can quote me on that. That many, so Coalition on Homelessness is an awesome organization based here in San Francisco. They do outreach and they did this incredible study last year, I believe, 2015. And it just provides, it just provides so much information about how criminalizing homeless people is terrible. And San Francisco, as of last year, there were 22 laws on the books that criminalized homelessness. How, again, how does one even talk about something that's so ridiculous? How do you criminalize the most marginalized people in society? What, and again, do we need more evidence as to why the systems that are in place are fucked up? There's a lot of evidence. There's tons. And they provided a, a pamphlet of exactly that. So here are ways you can resist Prop Q, especially, I want to really, for folks who, whether or not you're an individual, if you work for a nonprofit, especially if you're involved with working with folks who are houseless, please do take this um, suggestion to fight back against Prop Q. There's written information on the Weekly Review webpage, so you can find all of this. I will, I will read it out loud, and you'll also be able to go back and read this on your computer or device. So this comes from the Eviction Defense Collaborative. Uh, challenge Prop Q enforcement, Prop Q unconstitutional by Eighth Amendment. The EDC and partnering agencies are submitting a letter challenging Proposition Q to the SFPD. Oh, SFPD. Okay, well, again, the police aren't on our side, but anyway, we can... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, okay, I missed that part. Still, gotta submit it. Submit it. Okay. To the SFPD to request that Proposition Q not be enacted. I, there was a lot of other things I'd like to not be enacted. Okay. Not be enacted based on the U.S. Department of Justice determination that such laws are unconstitutional and in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Some other things that are in violation, I would say, of many amendments would be just for them not to harass and kill people. That could be another letter for another time. 
or maybe in the same letter. We are requesting that you, you and your agency support our efforts to keep Proposition Q from being enacted on January 1st, 2017 by modifying a template letter we have generated and sending it to the contacts we've identified. We encourage you to make any additions that feel appropriate for your respected mission. Thank you for your collaboration and solidarity. And I will read this letter. I will read this letter. That is the Prop Q template for allies. Police Chief William Scott, he's the new police chief. Tony Chaplin is no longer the police chief. Uh, this guy I've heard is from Los Angeles. All right. Regarding, excuse me, Prop Q requires substantially more shelter beds, and they're not even shelter beds. The whole proposition was just terrible. It was this, it was sold along this, like this lie that was saying, we need to outlaw tents and we'll we'll give people housing, but they're not giving people housing. It's pretty much just outlawing tents. So it gives police even more incentive to harass people and take their belongings. Gross. Dear Chief Scott, the U.S. Department of Justice took the position in 2015 that a prohibition of camping and sleeping in public outdoor spaces, places, particularly without adequate shelter space to accommodate the homeless population, was in fact criminalizing homelessness itself in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Bell versus City of Boise, case 109-CV-540-REB, Statement of Interest of the United States. This letter is being written in consideration of over 6,600 6, homeless San Francisco men, women, and children, I should just say, just say people, who sleep in doorways and live on sidewalks on a regular basis because the available shelter is inadequate. Some are veterans, others are victims of domestic violence, some are families with young children, and many suffer from severe physical or mental health conditions with insufficient access to services for accommodation. Many more of these city dwellers are former San Francisco tenants before rising evictions, foreclosures, and the economic downturn first forced them onto the streets. Side note, this is Roman here, not part of the letter. Uh, I think it's about 71% of folks who are on the streets used to be used to live in San Francisco proper. So they're not people who just came here. 71% of the folks on the street were folks who were living in buildings in San Francisco before they became houseless. Okay. Whew. Some are LGBTQ people who do not feel safe in shelters because they are often targets of homophobic, transphobic attacks. And the LGBTQ friendly shelter, Jazzy's Place, has only 24 beds. Most homeless people desperately seek housing, but the lack of affordable options combined with insufficient shelter beds makes the street one of the only viable options. Homeless service providers and advocates are deeply concerned about the real and direct impact of the recently passed Proposition Q. This amendment to the police code, by expanding the prohibition of tents on sidewalks, will further criminalize homelessness and have a devastating negative consequence to the physical and mental health of these residents. Law enforcement and the encampment resolution team will be required to offer shelter, pay the cost to transport the displaced person to, f to friends or family, and provide written notice that the city will remove the tent in 24 hours before removing or ordering a person to remove an unauthorized tent on a public sidewalk. Authorities may remove the tent if residents do not accept the law enforcement's offer of shelter or they do not remove the unauthorized tent within 24 hours of notice. However, there are simply not enough beds. San Francisco's 2015 homeless report confirms, confirms there are only 1,300 shelter beds in San Francisco for a homeless population of over 6,600. The Department of Justice position is that inadequate shelter beds, such as one for every five homeless individuals, makes a policy of removing sleeping on the streets or in public places, including with the use of tents, unconstitutional. 
Health authorities can confirm that living in an intact tent on the street can protect the health of a homeless individual better than being exposed to the elements. Duh. In addition, the average San Francisco homeless individual must wait between two and three months to receive (coughs) access to a shelter. Currently, there are more than 1,000 people waiting for a San Francisco shelter bed each night. Once assigned to a shelter, there is still a requirement for vaccination certificates that take two to three days to process. Under Proposition Q, even the most proactive homeless individuals will have their tents and personal possessions confiscated and still not be offered immediate shelter from cold and wet San Francisco weather while they wait for a bed. The fact that only a few homeless individuals will have their belongings and shelter confiscated at the same time does not mitigate the need for more shelter beds because those homeless individuals are likely to be allowed to circumvent the shelter waiting list. More likely, several of the displaced tent dwellers will already be on the shelter wait list. The police department and city should avoid pitting the needs of one or more tent dwellers against the rights of over 1,000 shelter seekers that may have even more dire needs. San Francisco needs a shelter solution for all and not a 24-hour Band-Aid approach for a few. So when folks write in with this this letter, you can include your organization name. So I work for this organization, is one of the many organizations tasked with preventing homelessness. We collaborate with the San Francisco Sheriff's Department to protect tenants from being removed from their homes. There exists the same dynamic for homeless people being removed from the street. San Francisco residents all need courtesy, understanding, and assistance when their only viable option is living on the street. And we have a phone call. Hello. Hello. Thanks for calling in. What was Gail? You know I'm always calling you guys. Oh, Gail. Hello. Thanks for calling. Yeah, what are you guys doing over there? Today, well, it's the last show of the year, and right now we're talking about ways that folks can resist Prop Q from being enacted, which is the proposition that would allow police to confiscate tents. <laughs> tax? Tents. Yeah, well, tax, tax, where's it all going? What are uh, they doing with it? Oh, the tents. I don't know. Uh, the, the tents, like the tents that people live in on the streets. I can't hear what you're saying. I'm trying to guess. Uh, tent. T-E-N-T. The tents. T-E-what? Tents. T-E-N-T-S. You got me. Okay. Perhaps, perhaps. It's, yeah, the phone's cutting out a little bit. Oh, I don't do computers and stuff. Okay. Maybe I'll catch you another time. Bye now. Okay. Thanks for calling, Gail. Okay, well, thanks for calling in, Gail. So, yes, you can find this letter online. So please, if you do work for an organization, uh, please do send this letter out to the SFPD. Ugh, it's like, it's like asking the... F- ugh, it's so... Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, it's a step in the right direction, and some resistance is what's needed. A lot of resistance is what's needed, actually, now that we think about it. Speaking of resistance... I'm going to go into the next article. My throat is really giving out pretty soon. It's only 1.01 p.m. So there's an article I'm going to get to a little bit later, which is about why protesting is good for you. And I'll definitely have a lot more water before I get to that one. And now I'm going to read an article uh, about resistance. Maybe that should be all articles from now on. They should all be about resistance. A rocket speaks out. 
Amidst the media storm about the pressure to perform at President-elect assholes inauguration, one sorry, that's an insult to assholes. One dancer breaks rank for an exclusive Marie MarieClaire.com interview. I don't usually read from Marie Claire. This may be the first time in doing the show of over three years that I am reading a Marie Claire article. So there's always time for something new. Try something new today. Something you've never done. I'm doing it. So this Rockette speaking about, about the turmoil behind the scenes. Written by Caitlin Menza. And this came out on December 27th. The dancer next to Mary was crying. Ter tears streamed down her face through all 90 minutes of their world-famous Christmas spectacular as they kicked and pirouetted and hit mark after mark on the glittering Radio City Music Hall stage. This was Thursday, three days before Christmas, the day the Rockettes discovered they'd been booked to perform at the inauguration of President-fucking-elect-asshole. Again, I need to find, we need to find new words because, ugh, this guy, ugh, ugh. If you could see me right now, if there was a video camera in the station, you'd see me just trying to dust off the energy from even announcing his name okay she felt she was being forced to perform for this monster mary told marieclaire.com in an exclusive interview i wouldn't feel comfortable standing near a man like that in our costumes said another dancer in an email to her colleagues mary is for obvious reasons a pseudonym over the last few days the dancers have proven their loyalty to the organization by refusing interview request after interview request some have even had journalists show up unannounced at their homes, huh, trying to get them to talk, but they're afraid of losing their jobs if they do, she says. For Mary, if I had to lose my job over this, I would. It's too important, and I think the rest of the performing arts community would happily stand behind me. I know I sure would. Controversy, controversy, hit within hours of the announcement last week that the Rockettes will perform at the presidential inauguration on January 20th, an event that's been contentious already between the very public refusals of so many celebrities to participate and the Twitter drama Dickhead himself has stirred up about it. Perhaps it should come as no surprise that the swearing-in of one of the most polemical presidential candidates in American history, and that says a lot because, ugh, uh, is proving to be just as divisive as he is. We actually found out through text messages from friends, Mary says, of being blindsided by the news. They sent me screenshots of CNN where the screen said, Rockettes to perform at Dickhead's inauguration. Some dancers lashed out immediately on social media. Then an email leaked from the Dancers Union, the American Guild of Variety Artists, reminding the women that they are contractually obligated to perform. Their jobs were at stake. The messaging from Rocket Management and the AGVA has conflicted likely due to the fact that different Rockettes have different employment contracts. This is where it gets tricky, Mary explains, of the inconsistent reports from recent days about whether, in fact, the Rockettes have to perform it after all. 13 girls are full-time year-round Rockettes, and they sign a contract saying that, aside from approved vacation time, they will be available to do any and all work, she says. The rest of us are seasonally contracted, 80 dancers, two casts of 40 women each. The seasonal dancers received an email announcing the performance at the inauguration and asking for their availability, but the full-time dancers received a different email, only giving them the details of the appearance, not the choice of whether to participate. <clears throat> and there's a quote here that's highlighted. To her knowledge, no women of color have signed up to perform that day. It's almost worse to have 18 pretty white girls behind this man, she says. Hmm. 
So it wasn't optional at first. The email from their union said that they had to do this job, Mary says, of the full-timers. By Friday, after backlash from the dancers and on social media, producers agreed to make participation elective. But dancers are worried that their choice to sit out now means they'll be sitting out for good. It's not as if dancing makes for a stable career. Even without hurdles like this one to jump, Mary knows of three full-time dancers um, who have chosen to decline to perform, and at least one of them is fearful of losing her standing as a result. It will be interesting to see who doesn't get their job back, Mary says, but do you really want to work for a company that supports this? I just don't know. It's become a moral issue at this point. And uh, when approached for comment by MarieClaire.com, the Madison Square Garden company, which manages the Rockettes, directed us to their previous statement from December 23rd. MarieClaire.com's request for comment from the AGVA has not been returned. While the performance is now theoretically voluntary, that hasn't dissolved the tension within the usually supportive group of women. There is a divide in the company now, which saddens me most, Mary says. The majority of us said no immediately, and then there's a percentage that said yes for whatever reason, whether it's because they're young and uninformed, or because they want the money, or because they think it's an opportunity to move up in the company when other people turn it down. The Rockettes have performed at presidential inaugurations before for dickhead George W. Bush in 2001 and 2005, which Mary says she would have happily... Which, huh. Okay, which says she would have been happy to partake in. We do a lot of events, but there have been no events that could cause trauma. And in doing this would cause trauma for some people, she explains, of some of the dancers who, like herself, can't stomach celebrating a man who has bragged about sexually assaulting women or the few African-American women in the troupe who fear for their rights and their safety under an administration with reported white supremacists in the ranks, in its ranks. And then she says, we have immigrants in the show. I feel like dancing for Trump would be disrespecting the men and women who work with us, the people we care about. Mary says that to her knowledge, no women of color have signed up to perform that day. It's almost worse to have 18 pretty white girls behind this man who support so many hate groups, she says. The lack of diversity in the kick line is embarrassing on a normal day, she says, and will only be more pointed in January. They're going to be branded in history as one of those women, Mary says. How is it going to look? She and other dancers are concerned about tarnishing the Rockettes' brand forever. This is making our show, our job, our name, branded as right-wing, an extreme right-wing, Mary says. There's a reason why everyone else is turning this down. Why are we not? This is not a rep Republican or Democrat issue. This is a women's rights issue, she continues. This is an issue of racism and sexism, something that's much bigger than politics. We walk into work and everyone has different political views. The majority of the stage crew are Trump supporters. Interesting. There's a Make America Great Again bumper sticker on the crew doors on the side of the stage. Ugh. But the majority of the staff skews liberal, she says, especially considering that many LGBTQ employees at Radio City. It's an ensemble. It's the people in our wardrobe and hair department, some of who are transgender, she says. These are our friends and our family who we've worked with for years. It's a basic human rights issue. We have immigrants in the show. I feel like dancing for Trump would be disrespecting the women and men who work with us and the people we care about. The emotional turmoil is coming at the worst possible time. The most intense week of any Rockettes year with multiple shows a day. 
This is such a horrible bomb to drop on us at Christmas. We work so hard. We're so tired. We're sleep-deprived. Our bodies are exhausted, she says. We really don't have lives, even in our off-season. We really respect each other and care about each other, and that's why this is so difficult. In these final shows since the news broke, Mary says she has already noticed a change in Radio City audiences. There have been a lot of empty seats this week, the day before Christmas. There aren't usually empty seats the day before Christmas, she says. At the same time, she's not really surprised. Why would you want to pay over $100 for a ticket to support someone who doesn't support all human rights, women's rights? Performing on this newly politicized stage has been unbearable, Mary reveals. When I was a child, I remember seeing the Rockettes and thinking they were the most powerful women ever. You don't really, th- you don't really think you can be one of them. Now she is. Now that she is, she carries the full fraught weight of that responsibility. We're representing every little girl's dream. Wow. So, again, um, one can check out that full article at MaryClear.com, MaryClear.com, as well as on the Weekly Review page, and that is at Facebook.com slash WeeklyRev. And here is a song that the president-elect makes me think of.
Let me now turn to our program for the future. Economy right now. It's extremely supporting of the president and his policy. FBI scientists have found chemical traces consistent with a bomb or a missile on a piece of wreckage. Police using clubs and tear gas against demonstrators. So and so in a white fascist. Like they said, you're getting some of your own medicine. You can't fool all the people all of the time, but if you fool the right ones, then the rest will fall behind. Tell me who. Got control of your mind, your worldview. Is it the news or the movie you taking your girl to? Uh, know what I'm saying? Cause Uncle Sam got a plan. If you examine what they telling us, then you will understand what they planting in the seeds of the next generation. Feeding our children miseducation. No one knows if there's UFOs or any life on Mars or what they doing when they up in the stars. Because I don't believe a word of what the president said. He filling our head with lies. Got us hypnotized when he be speaking in cold words about crime and poverty. Drugs, welfare, prisons, guns, and robbery, it really means us. There's no excuse for the slander, but what's good for the goose is still good for the gander, see. I don't believe Bob Marley got from cancer. 31 years ago, I would have been a panther. They killed Huey because they knew he had the answer. The views that you see in the news is propaganda. See you. 
great love and a great understanding and that we try to extend this to the general uh, uh, black population and also people, oppressed people all over the world. And I think that uh, we differ from um, uh, some other groups simply because we understand the system better than uh, uh, most uh, groups understand the system. And uh, with this realization, uh, we attempted to form a strong political base based in the community with the only strength that we have, and that's the strength of a, a potentially destructive force if we don't get freedom. Hello. So, last night was a very interesting night. Um, for many of us um, in an activist space um, due to what happened last night we are encouraging everyone to be out we are encouraging to show visibility about not being afraid for being a person of color for being a woman for being queer in the political realm that we currently have. So we are encouraging everybody at 8 o'clock today to show up and stand in solidarity with the folks that experienced violence and bigotry in a form of physical violence. We encourage everybody to show support to those are going to experience more violence because of the bigotry that we experience in this country for the next four years. Last night taught me one thing, and what it taught me is that we need to prepare ourselves to protect our community, to protect our people, because while we have an option today to talk about <clears throat> readiness, we might not have that option tomorrow. Because at the end of the day, they are running around in the streets provoking violence with no intention to get away in that interaction, not hurting somebody. This is what we learned last night. This is what I learned last night, is that we're dealing with direct violence motivated by a man that's holding a position of power that it said this is okay. So what happened last night is really a reflection of the type of society we're gonna be dealing with for the next four years. This is a hyper steroid violence against queer, black, people of color, women who are going to be attacked because they choose not to assimilate. They choose not to play along within the parameters of the state. So we do ask you today to show in solidarity with us, to leave your homes and come with us at the colonized displays at 5-5 Walker and stand in solidarity with us to show visibility and strength of those bigots that are walking around trying to be okay with the idea that they can hurt people because they are different. 
if any of the days are most important, this will be one of those days. Because we have to take a stand. If we don't take a stand now, we will never take a stand. Um, we will be there to show strength. We gotta show strength. Because it's, go it's just gonna be a very, very difficult um, year and we need to really start considering protecting each other. What had happened last night was a form of way of a community who choose to protect each other um, away from the type of violence that these people perpetuated. Um, some people don't have the skills or the resources to protect themselves from this kind of violence. Um, many, many, many people have been punished for being queer, for being a fag, for being a trans, for being a lot of things that the society don't want to tolerate. And it always end up in violence. So at some point, we do have to learn to protect ourselves in a form of self-defense because it's not, an, it's not an option anymore. So, yeah, please show up at 55 Walker tonight. We will gather to show strength against ending all bigotry. Thank you. And welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was uh, Michael Basias. Uh, thank you, Michael, for sharing that. And this was on December 18th, and this was following the attack on uh, Colin Ashley and a few other folks uh, in New York City. And a few people were injured. They were attacked by Trump supporters. And so this was a response to that. And I feel there's a lot of great messages in this that need to be shared with everyone and also recognizing that we all need to keep on going out and protesting and showing up and standing up for one another and protecting one another and also the need for self-defense and also, as Michael points out, that a lot of these attacks have been happening since long before. These were happening, this has been happening for a very long time, since before the election. And we've seen an uptick in it. We've seen an increase in it. So we have to really talk about it. And for folks who might not experience it, you really need to start listening, because this is something that people have been going through every day of their lives, and now it's, it's an, there's an increase in it. So again, I want to encourage folks to come out uh, tomorrow night, uh, December 31st at 8 p.m. to 555 California Street, uh, which is the protest at the property that Trump co-owns, and marching towards Justin Herman Plaza at 9 p.m. You can find out more information at refusefascism.org. Now, I recognize that not everyone protests, uh, but I really want to encourage you to. If you've never been before, there's a first time for everyone, and it's really important to have as many people there as possible. And there's a lot of ways you can show up. So this is an article that I apparently had posted it five years ago today and I'd forgotten about it and it popped up again in, in my news feed and I thought, well, that's that says something. This is a sign, so I'm going to share that with everyone. And this is from transformativechange.org and this originally uh, was published on August 25th and the idea is protest is good for you. So the idea is to also for folks who might be on the fence or might have been thinking about it or maybe are even reluctant to, just to really encourage you to show up and come out and see what it's like if you've never been before. So this was written and contributed by Mama Donna Hennis. 
And the quote begins, I won't be made useless. I won't be idle with despair, which is a quote from Jewel. And I'll move along from that. Uh, continue on with the article. The media likes to portray peace, environmental, human, and animal rights protesters as a fringe element of whining malcontents, teetering on the margins of proper society. The truth is that those who step forward to speak their mind are happier and healthier folks than most. Protesting is not complaining, nor is it sending out negative messages. Pro means for, in favor of. Test means to speak, as in testify and testimony. So protest actually means to speak for. Protest is a completely positive endeavor. Einstein said, The world is dangerous not because of those who do harm, but because of those who look at it without doing anything. Nothing that I can do will change the structure of the universe, but maybe by raising my voice I can help the greatest of all causes, goodwill among men and peace on earth. A new study by John Drury, professor of social psychology at the University of Sussex in England, shows that it is good for you to protest. Even though protesters may be depressed about the state of the world, their physical and mental ailments improve dramatically as a result of taking part in a group effort for change and the betterment of conditions. Involvement in social causes and participation in political demonstrations banishes sensations of isolation, dis discouragement, and impotence, and replaces them with an exhilarating awareness of connectedness, well-being, and empowerment. When people participate in large-scale protests, they get swept up in a communal mood of optimism that feeds their feelings of hope. They believe their actions can help to change the course of history. Collective action can therefore be a life-changing, uplifting, and life-enhancing experience, concludes Drury. And the next quote is from Gandhi, Jewel and Gandhi. Uh, a small body of determined spirits fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. So there, there you go. That's a very brief and concise and direct article that really, I think, tells what a lot of us have been trying to say, because there are a lot of naysayers. And when one protests, there are, are occasionally people who might walk by and say dismissive things. And at the same time, you're, you're drawing attention to something. And I, you know, every single protest is different. I've been to a number of them. And depending on the people, there's like never, ever the same specific combination of people who are there never the same combination of speakers the environment is different it's similar to a show in a way an unscripted show you never know what's going to happen exactly and sometimes you might walk away feeling more rejuvenated than others you might meet new people have new ideas you can contribute in a way even just being there even if you don't speak to anyone being there says something so i really want to encourage people to show up Bring people, invite people. It's New Year's Eve. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a party person, anyway. And why not do it now? There's a lot of people who have been depressed about the year and what's happened. And as the article mentions, inaction doesn't help to change anything. So we can pretend that we can't do anything to change it, or we can show up and, at the very least see what we can do to, to change it, to provide alternatives. And referring back to the video from, from Michael, just talking about really showing up, especially if you feel afraid. What can we do to, to show up in person? And also, 
now, while we can, there have been articles going around the internet. And again, I, one recognizes how can we be trustful of news sources, but I, I don't doubt it at all. I'd rather be naive and proven wrong than, um, than optimistic to a, to a night. I guess I, I would rather take precaution in terms of what the, this incoming administration says they're going to do and fight back against that than just to simply allow it to happen and then be living under that. So there's a lot of articles going around saying that they're going to ban protests. There's already actions in that. And of course they want to ban protests so they can wield as much power as possible. They want us to stay silent. So we need to go out there while we can so that doesn't happen. So I really, 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 really want to encourage you, your friends, your family, come on, let's go out. So again, December 31st, 8 p.m., 555 California. And again, you can go to refusefascism.org. And these are happening. These events are happening all around the country. So many cities around the country that these are happening. And there will be events happening throughout January as well. So please do come out. There are so many ways to help and to be vocal about it. That's another thing with organizing. There are so many different ways and different pieces. And because you might not be able to do one thing or don't know about doing one thing doesn't mean you can't do something else. We all can chip in. We all can share our ideas. We all can be there for each other. So I really want to encourage folks to do that. Huh. So I have, there's another post that is the complete anti-fascist reading list. It's great to stay educated and to recognize ways to stay informed and also just to know who our enemies are, certainly. Now, if it was up to me and I could wave a magic wand, what would I want to do? I'd want the folks who are in power and causing harm, folks who are not in power and causing harm, just to all of a sudden have a change in behavior, to make their amends, apologize, and say, I'm never going to do this again. Uh, if they have a lot of capital, to share their capital. If they are in position of power, I want them to step down, not provide, you know, not encourage any type of war, any violence, that would be an ideal situation. Unfortunately, uh, the magical powers I have aren't quite that at that level at this point. So we have to learn how to protect ourselves against our enemies and the folks who are really pushing violence. There already is violence in the system, we recognize. A lot of us have lived through that. A lot of us have lived through the trauma, and it's a continuing thing. We need to know, to understand it from a historical context, and how to fight back against it, and also what's worked in the past. So here's a uh, complete anti-fascist reading list that was published on December 27th from the Anti-Fascist Front. <clears throat> and you can check this out at antifascistnews.net. The term fascism has been thrown around left circles for decades as a proxy for author authoritarianism, racism, or both. This inability to properly define and understand how fascist movements erupt and grow has created a deficit in organizing. And as we head into a Trump presidential administration and the massive growth of the quote-unquote alt-right and white nationalism organizers across the left need the tools to break down these movements and how they work. There have been a lot of reading lists put out recently, so we thought we would compile one of our own that combines a whole number of threads that are important for understanding how fascism works. This includes detailed looks at the alt-right, and it should be alt-right in quotation marks, the more mainstream alt-light, the role of neo-folk and goth music, white nationalist organizing, the history of white nationalist violence, how the revival of scientific racism works, how anti-Semitism plays out, and all the other te uh, tentacles that make the intersectional beast of the new fascist movement. This list of readings is far from complete, and this page is going to continue to be updated as we add new sections and flesh out the ones that are here. If you think there are some great ones that are missing, please let us know. 
and also know that it is the writings, videos, and audio recordings below that make up a lot of the thinking that goes into this website. We've also angled this list below more in favor of newer articles as well as ones that are generally accessible, though there are a few academic ones dotted in there. So they have a list here. So if you go to the um, antifascistnews.net, you can find the full list and click on it there, as well as the facebook.com slash weeklyrev page. Um, so there's one on the alt-right and the new American fascism from Counterpunch, alternative, alternative fascism, the alt-right and fascist branding from Anti-Fascist News, calling them alt-right helps us fight them, which is I've heard conflicting reports on, the alt-right and the quest for white identity from The Guardian, my journey inside the alt-right from Huffington Post, the dapper white nationalist who wins even if Trump loses, and that's uh, from Mother Jones, uh, Geeks, and that's about Richard Spencer, um, Geeks for Monarchy, a profile on neo-reaction from TechCrunch, and then there's this idea of alt-light, and there's two articles from the anti-fascist news, Breitbart goes full fash and introducing the alt-light, the people mainstreaming the alt-right's white nationalism. There's neo-folk, which is a term that I hadn't been familiar with, fighting the Trojan horse of hipster fascism, and that's from Earth First. Neo-fascist heathen harvest neo-folk and fascist subcultural entryism from anti-fascist news. The neo-folk band changes and their open fascism, that's also from anti-fascist news. Death in June, which is a Nazi band from lib.com. Counter-culture fascism from Spitfire. Neo-folk or neo-voke, One People's Project. Uh, Apoletic music, neo-folk, martial industrial. And metapolitical fascism from Patterns of Prejudice. And then there's some articles on white nationalist organizing, uh, the neo-Nazis, how Matthew Heimbach is building a racist network across the U.S. And this is from It's Going Down, which is a website I highly recommend, itsgoingdown.org. Also, there is Guide to Understand Identity Europa, as well as The Undying Appeal of White Nationalism from Candles and Torches, and 20th Century White Supremacist Groups from C-SPAN. There's articles on anti-Semitism, the problem of left anti-Semitism and fascist entryism, uh, anti-Semitism in the White House, Stephen Bannon, Donald Trump, and the alt-right, understanding anti-Semitism, guide to understanding Holocaust denial. There's articles on scientific racism, race and IQ, a tale of shoddy science, overview on the race realist movement, people keep misunderstanding race and IQ, race realism, a pseudoscience, and then defining fascism. And there's a few, quite a few articles on that as well. There's queerness and fascism, including gay Nazi, gay Aryan, gay supremacist from Pop Matters, queer fascism, why white nationalists are dropping homophobia, and esoteric fascism. There's a lot of articles on this as well, as um, in addition, national anarchism and third position, and white nationalist violence, conspiracy theories, militia movements, and Donald Trump and white nationalism, anti-fascist organizing. So there's a lot of lists for how folks can stay connected. So again, there's a lot of resources, and I think it's great to hear from as many perspectives as possible and also from a historical perspective so we can know what's happening. It's about 1.38 here. I'll be wrapping up the show pretty shortly, so I wanted to play a few more songs before we go. Um, George Michael was one of the other artists that we lost very recently, and so there's a lot of, of his music I wanted to play. This one just came up, and it holds up very well and is very true. So here we go.
Okay, and welcome back. So, wrapping up this uh, show here. Thanks again, everyone, for calling in, coming in this year, for all the listeners out there, for all the activists, artists, community organizers, people doing a lot of good work, people being kind, um, sending out uh, gratitude to folks who have made my life easier and more warm this year, sending out apologies to those I've hurt and just sending out a lot of love to to everyone and hopefully we can take this with us in the next year and again really what is time though because it's all an illusion so i guess there's that idea um but it's good to have these these points to to look back and reflect perhaps we can do that more often and perhaps we can be more consistent with it and wanting to the idea of new year's resolutions will our new year's resolutions be to resist Will they be to come together more, to share our resources, to open up, to do things we're afraid of, to fight back against oppressive regimes, to call out the people in positions of power who mess things up for the rest of us? What will it be? And I'm wondering if it can be something beyond the the I and going beyond selfishness, which is what capitalism really encourages. And there's a great quote, I, forget, I can't, unfortunately, I don't remember who said it, but the idea is if you change the I to we, illness becomes wellness. And I think that's really beautiful and really true. And now I just feel like I have to look it up because I want to attribute that to the, the person who said it. Um, but I feel like that's, it's, yeah, it's important. How can we make I, we? How do we do that? And it's easier said than done. And I recognize we're all, we're all in this together and we're also incur I mean it's difficult because we're all under a lot of pressure in order to survive and it's it can be difficult if we're all pushed around and then we end up pushing each other around and I'm wondering how we can change that dynamic a little bit. How can we, we're all living organisms, how can we change that? How do we change our own behavior? And what does that look like? And there's something else I'm thinking of too with uh, what this incoming regime represents and how so many of us are opposed to it and sickened by it and afraid of it and angered by it. And how do we embody all of the opposite of what it represents? Can we create that so that folks who initially would support that might see it our way and say, oh, I'd rather be in a more loving and caring and kind way of being where people accept each other, going beyond the idea of tolerance, that, that word is, uh, but acceptance. We don't want to tolerate each other. We want to love each other and accept each other and allow space for one another. How do we do that? And again, it's, it's tricky in the society that we live in, the systems that we live in, where a lot of us are carrying a lot of trauma and face this trauma every day. There's the idea of epigenetics where we're carrying the trauma of our ancestors in our bodies. We're carrying that with us when the world seems very backwards, when we walk out the door and there are people living on the streets and there are empty apartments, when there's food that's being wasted and thrown out, there's people being locked in cages. There's no concern about how much a bomb costs to drop, but for some reason people can't allow more folks to get food stamps or funding for education or funding for healthcare. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of backwardsness and I feel it's hard not to internalize that and one might start to feel like things don't make sense because of the way things are and I'm wondering what we can do to change that and how to enact that we can think about it and brainstorm and make ideas and then also actually act that and become that and so the more of us who are doing that the more folks who will join and I feel that's one thing with, with with protesting. That's just one way of doing it. But the more people who are there, the more folks who are likely to 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 join, and to see that it's possible too, to know that it's possible. And again, I'd rather be naive and disappointed than than not try at all. <sighs> so, and it looks like uh, the quote: "When I is replaced with we." even illness becomes wellness has been attributed to Malcolm X. So that's something to think about when I is replaced with we even illness becomes wellness. So it's a note for myself and for everyone out there to recognize we're all on the same side and to see if we can work on that a little bit more. And it may be a shock that I'm going to end the show with I do have a song I <laughs> I feel like would be the theme song of the show, and I'll be playing that first, but then after that, I'm going to play a very more of a peaceful song. And I do like peaceful songs. Perhaps there's the the idea that because someone's angry or wants this idea of revolution that one can't want peace or that it, it, one can't let go or be calm for a little bit. So the last song I'll be ending on is Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. And before that, I'm going to play uh, Mass Destruction by Faithless which I think is timeless and says a lot of what needs to be said. So have a great week, everyone. I'll be back uh, next week. Take care. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Solaway Sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad came into my room holding his hat. I knew he was leaving. He sat on my bed, told me some facts, son. I have a duty calling on me, you and your sister be brave, my little soldier. And don't forget all I told you, you're the mister of the house, now remember this. And when you wake up in the morning, give your mama a kiss, then I had to say goodbye. In the morning woke mama with the kiss on each eyelid, even though I'm only a kid, certain things can't be hit. Mama grabbed me, held me like I was made to go, but left her in the store as untold. I said, Mama, it'll be alright when Daddy comes home tonight. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Solaway Sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton and Run or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find courage over oh,
Side bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Solaway Sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or Raporation. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton and Run or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find courage. Overcome inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. But they do look stupid things, but they do too trust in them 
morning.